As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. This podcast is brought to you in part by Earth Class Mail, making your snail mail as convenient as email. Go to earthclassmail.com forward slash rocket ship for an exclusive discount. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Matt Goldman. I'm Joelle Goldman. And I'm Michael Saka. Today we talk to Craig Wordman, who is the CEO and founder of Sales Engine, and he's also a professor of business in Chicago. So what did you guys think? I thought it was great. He talked a lot about hiring and sales and the the bullet points that you really have to hit before you're even ready to hire. And I think it's I think there's more prerequisites than most people think. So it's a good talk to learn a bit about, you know, how to prepare for that big milestone. Yeah. And he talked a lot about the difference between the things that a high performer does versus a low performer 
and broke it down into like really simple steps that have my brain spinning. I feel like I'm ready to go refine everything we've been working on. So great stuff in here. Let's get into it. Alex Bloomberg is a master storyteller. You probably know him from This American Life or his other podcast, Startup. He's offering a course on Creative Live all about how to tell a great story. And we've got a sneak peek for you right here. Anyone can benefit from learning to tell better audio stories, whether you're a reporter on the radio or you're an entrepreneur trying to tell an effective story about your business. Maybe you just have a job where you need to communicate effectively to large groups of people. Anybody can benefit from learning to tell a better story. In this workshop, what I'm doing is sort of unpacking what exactly is a story, how can you be effective in telling stories, and how can you lay them out in a way that they get maximum impact to your audience. Go to creativelive.com forward slash rocketship to save 30% off this course and others. All right. So Craig, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You are the founder and CEO at Sales Engine, and you're also a professor of entrepreneurship in Chicago. Um, Tell me a bit about how you got started. Sure, Michael. Thanks. Um, I got started as a salesperson. I, it's funny, 25 years in, I still consider myself a salesperson, <laughs> even though I wear uh, a bunch of hats like professor and, and uh, entrepreneur. But I'm at heart a salesperson. I started, like a lot of people, at IBM a long time huh. ago. Uh, I covered 13 zip codes on the south side of Chicago. I am, I always say to people, I am forever thankful for what IBM gave me. They gave me fantastic training. They, you know, threw me out of a car on the south side and said, go sell something. And I was, you know, horrible at the start and learned how to do it by hook or by crook. So um, that's sort of where I came from. I I sort of have had a weird and fun career progression. It's gone progressively smaller to the point where I helped start a business uh, and founded a couple of my own. So it's been a lot of fun. So, and then how does Sales Engine, um, explain to me quickly what it, it does, and um, you know, I'm sure we can kind of, uh, you know, tell a little bit. But tell me, kind of, what, what's the what's the gist of the uh, business? Sure. So, what we do is we help companies build and tune their sales engine. It sounds really simple. What that means is we look at the people that we that that a company has, either as it gets started or a mature company, and everything in between. We look at the process that they use, the sales process, step by step. And then we look at the tools and what we call the knowledge, skill, and discipline of the people that use those sales tools and that process to be high-performing. So that's really what we do, and uh, it's, a, it's a, a ton of fun. It's hard work, um, and it's, it's really in the spirit of helping. If, you're, you know, if it's a mature sales team with a large company, it's about helping those salespeople become even higher performers. If it's an early-stage company where I spend a lot of my time uh, both teaching and mentoring and just helping out as a consultant. It's more about surviving, you know, what I call the wonderful chaos from time zero to break even. So you're kind of going, hmm, you know, I got this idea. I've got the beginnings of a product or a service or a solution or an app or whatever. How the heck do I get my first few customers or first few thousand customers or users on board? That's a hard, crazy time. I've survived it. I've failed in it. I've done everything in between. And so we've we built a firm to try to serve people as they come up that curve. So when we were talking uh, before we hit record, you mentioned uh, that you saw a distinct difference between entrepreneurial selling and professional selling. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
I, I can. Thanks for asking. So it's just an it's a interesting and I think a significant distinction between these two things because I don't. You know, it's funny. We at Chicago Booth at the Business School, we like to count things, and we went out. A colleague of mine went out and counted the number of professional selling books that are on the market. And and I, I'll, I'll throw my hat in the ring. I have I have one that's partially about sales too. So I'm I'm in that group. But you know, there's eight thousand books on sales, right? And they're all on what I call professional selling. You know, you land at IBM, you land at Google, you land somewhere, and you're a professional, quote unquote, professional salesperson. And that's a wonderful thing. And I've been that, love that. Those, and it, you know, it really talks about how do you, you know, how do you handle objections? How do you qualify? How do you ask the right questions? How do you run meetings? All this really important stuff. And when I started my first business, I thought, well, I'm coming from a place like IBM and Dean Witter and a couple other places that trained me to be a successful, high-performing salesperson. And I thought, you know, at least I got that. I'm really not sure what I'm doing as an entrepreneur, but I got that. And I, I can't tell you how wrong I was. Like, it was stunning about how I thought, if there's one thing I know, it's how to sell. And I, we started this business. We started going. We had a heck of a time getting customers. And what I learned is there is a distinct difference between these two things. An entrepreneurial sales environment is is by definition, I mean, nothing I'm going to say is shocking or, or, or um, you know, rocket science, but it's, it's, it's unconstructed. You're spending a tremendous amount of time trying to figure out who you are, what the idea is, where the shapes and boundaries and colors of the product or service are. So you're doing a lot of product development. You're hiring a team. You're finding space. You're getting business cards printed. You know, the million and a half things you have to do as an entrepreneur. And it, and, and then whatever time is left over, you have to sell. You have to get the, the, the company's first critical customers. And what's so different about it is that as a professional salesperson, you know, Michael, Joel, Craig walks into a room and it's almost, and forgive the metaphor, but it's almost like they hand you a manual and it's got everything in it. You've got your brochures. They throw it in your briefcase and they give you a territory and they say, go. And you have a brand and you have a story and you have a product or a service, you have all that stuff going for you. And what it took me a sort of embarrassingly long time to figure out as a brand new, newly minted CEO entrepreneur is nobody hands me that stuff. I have to figure all that stuff out. When somebody says, Craig, what do you do? I have to have a clean, concise and articulate answer that targets their need, their pain, I have to be able to state clearly and concisely my differentiators, my value proposition. I have to understand what the objections are that I'm going to handle in that sales process. All of that stuff, when you're entrepreneurial or founder-led selling, is completely unknown. You're figuring that out as you go, feeling your way as you go. And so what we've done at the business school, just to give you an example, and what we do in our consulting work, is we've built a course on all of those aspects of entrepreneurial selling that entrepreneur of, of selling rather that entrepreneurs have to get really good at and get good at fast to survive is there like a base um like a checklist of things that you need to know or need to find out um when you should be selling your product yeah um yes so this is one of my favorite subjects so, it, it, michael if i understand your question because I want to, I want to answer the right yep. question. You're saying, is there, as an, as you're, you're sitting, you're, you're sitting with your small team as an entrepreneur. Is there a checklist of things that you should have to go and approach the market? Is that the question? Um, 
kind of more like when you're selling, like, is there an arsenal of things? And maybe we're talking about the same thing, but I'll just rephrase it just in case. Is yeah. there an arsenal of things that you should have in your sales toolbox um, that that we can start to either collect or find out? And maybe that is the three key objections that you come across the um, yes. elevator pitch for your for your business like that kind of arse that sales arsenal for entrepreneurs um, so they either know what to go out and and research to find out um, or what they know that they should have prepared for any meeting yeah thank you for that clarification so I'm going to give you two I'm going to give you two ways to think about this so I think I and stop me again if I'm answering the wrong question but there's two ways to think about this. First, I'm going to lay the foundation, and then I'm going to answer your question, which okay. is the, the answer is yes. There's a whole bunch of stuff you need to have, and you need to develop relatively quickly to be successful and survive that early period of time. First, the foundation. And we spent a lot of time on this um, with clients and with my MBA students. The foundation of high-performance selling and entrepreneurship is what I call the proper balance of knowledge, skill, and discipline. And if you think about those things, it's sort of relatively obvious. You go, Craig, of course, you know, we all have to have knowledge, we have to have skill, we have to have discipline. Here's the thing. Most entrepreneurs and actually most professional salespeople have too much knowledge. And I know mm. that sounds crazy, but let me just clarify this. So what I, what I don't mean is get dumber. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is entrepreneurs by nature, we are passionate, we're enthusiastic, we love our product, we built this company for a reason. I want to tell you all about it. And what happens is I over-manifest knowledge. So I pour it all out, and I'm you know, 45 minutes into it, and you're looking at me like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? And what we always say to entrepreneurs is, you've got to think as long and as hard about the skill and the discipline you're bringing to these customer interactions as what you know, your knowledge, right? So stop there. Treat that as the foundation. I'm going to pile things on top of that. Because the, the, just even in your question, you started answering the question. So, yes, you have to have a, a, a toolkit. And in my way of thinking about it, the toolkit sort of looks like this. I get the question a lot that comes from entrepreneurs. They say, Craig, you know, we're starting out. We've survived the first year. We've got some beta clients. We've got a little bit of success. We've got a little bit of revenue coming in. And I think we're ready to hire a salesperson, a professional, you know, a, sale, a real salesperson to go out and attack the market. And I say, and I get kind of mean about this with people because I really want them to do this right because a lot of entrepreneurs hire salespeople too fast and they fail because of it. And so what I say to entrepreneurs is I say, okay, let me, let me get a little bit mean and let me tell you how you know, at least how I think you know whether you're ready for that first or second or five salespeople. If you sit down with me in a cafe, and let's just assume that I'm a high-performing salesperson, and, you're, and Michael, you're the entrepreneur, you're considering hiring me. Mm -hmm. If I'm truly a high-performing salesperson, I'm going to look at you, Michael, the entrepreneur, and I'm going to say, Michael, in order, to, in order for me to be high-performing for you, I, I need to know the following things. I need to know all the steps of your sales process, where it's the weakest, where it's the strongest, and why. I need to know the 6 to 8 to 12 objections you routinely get, in which order you roughly get them, and what the answers are. I need to know the 10 impact questions you ask in each stage of the sales process in order to understand whether this customer is going to be a buyer. I need the list in priority order of qualifying questions. I need the top five stories of success that you tell and the top five failure stories. I need to look at five proposals that succeeded, five proposals that failed. And, and again, I'm being obnoxious for a reason. Mm -hmm. I kind of go into this and it's a litany of things 
because, and, it, and Michael, it ultimately is the answer to your question. As an entrepreneur, you need to quickly develop out this toolkit so you can, because that's where you're going to, that's how you're going to live through and succeed in those early sales by developing the proper responses to the objections when they come or being able to qualify, um, to, to qualify Joelle when she's maybe the decision maker, but you're not quite sure what question do you ask her, right? Right. So it's, it's a lot of those things that you accumulate over time. And all we try to do, both in my teaching and in my consulting, is accelerate the process by which you put that robust toolkit together so you're much more, your, your conversion rates at each step of the process go up. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Interesting. Yeah, no, I love that. That's um, because those are things that you can start having conversations and kind of checking off um, test as you go along. That's but exactly you have to know right. what to test. That's the, that's the problem that, that I've always had is not well, that, knowing what I'm doing. That's right. And, and it's so, it's so crazy because when I became an entrepreneur for the first time, and again, I, you know, I assumed, well, Craig, one thing you got going for you is you know how to sell, right? You've been trained by the best. And then I realized I'm in a situation. These people are asking me these questions. I don't know the answers. And not only do I not know the answers, we haven't even thought about that yet. Whereas, you know, if you're at Google or you're at Oracle or you're at whatever, you have either you've got the answer like at the tip of your mind or tip of your tongue or with one, you know, text, you can get the answer from your engineer staff or your boss or whoever. Man, when you're an entrepreneur, you're alone. Like, right. you're, that's it. And you just got to go, oh, God, like, what do I do here? And so it's, 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 it's wonderful. I call it wonderful chaos, right? It's wonderful <laughs> because you're the, you're the goods. You're, you're in charge, right? It's your baby. And it's chaos because it keeps you up at night because you're like, oh, my God, if I don't get this deal, I'm running out of money and I got to fire Craig, you know? Right. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about handling objections. Sure. Um, are there some common ways to look at um, you know objections and and ways to respond um, yeah. that you can kind of I don't know give us some high level guidance on? Sure, um, I, I have a strong opinion about this. Like okay. you can tell, I have about most things. <laughs> so so yeah, I mean it, you know there's there you know if you look at the research of high performing sales, there's a there's a five step process for how high performers. Um, handle objections. And it's different and distinct from how low to moderate performers handle objections. And here's the distinction. Just like we drew a distinction between entrepreneurial and professional selling, here's the distinction between low performers and high performers. Here's what low performers do. And we all do this, myself included. We, I catch myself doing this routinely. When a low, per, let's say you're my customer, let's say we, you know, you're my potential customer, okay. let's say we're three meetings in and you're digging me and you're digging my entrepreneurial deal. And, but I sort of say, Michael, you know, uh, here's the expense. It's $112,000 to do this. And you kind of go, oh my God, right? Because in the run up to these conversations, I didn't 
tip my card. You didn't know how much this was, right? right. I didn't tip my cards. And so you kind of go, you know, the classic, most common objection in all of life is you're too expensive. So you lean across the table and you say, Craig, wow, you know, I like you. I like your company. I like its product. But my God, I had no idea. Like we, uh, we don't have that money, hmm. but we don't have 112,000. Well, what is that? It's not, I always say to my students, my, my, my clients, that's not a no, that's an objection, right? So here's what a low performer does. A low performer says, Michael, I understand. Let's back up for a second and let's look at the ROI. So if you back up, Michael, and you think about this as an ROI against all the other projects that you're prioritizing and all the other money that's spent in your budget, I think what you'll agree, and I go through my ROI model, right? Okay. I run it back, whip out a slide, I you know, take a back of an envelope, and I draw out the ROI model, and it's a beautiful thing, and it justifies 112000 Nothing wrong with that, by the way. Nothing wrong with that. But here's the distinction. Low performers answer the objection. Mm-hmm. High performers, they do what I call sitting down into the objection. There's actually five steps to handling objection, not one. Answering the objection is actually step four. Step one of handling an objection is, you know, and I'm, I'm patting myself on the back because I get to be the, the high-performing salesperson now. But you say, oh, my God, Craig, 112000 Wow. You know, I don't have that in my budget. First thing I do is encourage. And I say, Michael, totally fair. Tell me more about that. Is it that your budget is completely spoken for? Are you surprised at the expense? Or is it something else? Or is it a combination of these things? So you're trying to figure out what the issue is. Yeah. Right. And you know what, Michael? I may know what the issue is. Okay. But a high performer, even if he or she knows what the issue is, always does the first two steps, which is encourage and question. Often those two are collapsed together, like I just demonstrated. So I said, you know, tell me more, Michael. That's my encouragement. And then I followed it right with a question. You know, is is it a question of priority, Michael? Is it something else? And I sort of probe a little bit. So encourage and question is steps one and two. Even if I know exactly what you're thinking, right? Mm-hmm. I encourage and question. That allows you, as my customer, to be heard, which is a huge deal. It's called listening and hearing, right? We try to train salespeople to be better listeners. And it encourage you, encourages you to unspool some of the decision-making angles on this thing, even though they may be simple, they may be complex, they may be somewhere in between, doesn't matter. It lets you get it out a little bit, okay? So now, let's just play this out. You and I do a little back and forth. You know, I clarify a little bit. I'm like, okay, so Michael, that, that point you just made, does that mean that Joelle has to be involved and it's actually coming from her budget? Or, and I clarify, and we go back and forth for a minute or two, right? Then I do what good listeners do. If you look at the competency called listening in a, in a competency manual, what you'll find is listeners often do what's called the confirm. And this is the third step of the handling objections process. It's confirm. So encourage, question, confirm. I say to you, you we've done this back and forth. You've answered you know, some of my questions. You've given me some color. And I say, Michael, I think I got it. So here's, it sounds like here's what's happening. You've got seven other priorities. They've sucked up all your budget. And, and not to mention 112,000 is, is expensive and there's just no way it's going to fit into your budget right now. Do I, do I hear you correctly? Okay. Yep. And then I shut my mouth because all good things happen when you shut your mouth and it's called the confirm. And you say, you know, if I'm reasonably intelligent and I reason, did a reasonable job of playing back what your objection was, you go, yeah, that's it, Craig. And now, and only now 
do I do what low performers do immediately, which is I answer the question. I say, Michael, totally understood. Thank you so much for sharing all that context with me. Let's step back and look at the ROI of this. And let me just help you think this through. You may agree with what I say. You may disagree. That's okay. But let me walk you through this. I walk you through my ROI model. You may agree. You may disagree. There's probably something in you know, space in between where you go, eh, you know, I'm mildly convinced, but not all the way there, Craig. Right? Whatever. And then I do what's called the check, which is the fifth and final step of a good handling objections process, which is I just check. I check to see whether we can move on. I say something like, and you get, you know, some of this stuff you got to find your own style on as a salesperson, but I just say, you know, my habit is to say something like, Michael, this has been really helpful. Hopefully I've given you some ways of thinking about the money here and ways that you could possibly fit into your budget. You may agree, you may disagree. Do you have more concerns about this or should we move on? Hmm. And what I'm trying to say in a graceful way is, are we stuck here or can we keep moving with my sale? That's what I'm actually saying. But I'm doing it with more grace. Okay. So last point, I'll stop, is there is a huge delta between how high performers do this and how low performers do this. And, and once, one more time for the record, this is hard to do. It's hard to stop and listen when you know the answer not to mention you've heard this objection 900 times this week from buyers. And so it's hard not to just jump right to, oh my God, here it comes again. Michael's going to object to my 112,000 and I'm just going to answer his question. But you know what? Confidence, credibility, trust is earned in steps one, two, and three, not step four. That's the key. Interesting. Okay. And so you're, yeah, you're building that relationship up and letting them know that you're actually listening. That's exactly right. And what's, you know, I mean, guys, we don't need a book to tell us this. What's the key to every relationship? Any relationship, personal, professional. Yep. Trust. Yep. And salespeople, you know, when salespeople are not good listeners or they over-manifest knowledge, they, they, actually, they actually destroy trust instead of build it. Why would you do that? Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And that's probably why people don't like... A lot of salesmen. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, there's you know. a huge, we do this hilarious exercise in my class at the first night of every class that I teach in the, in the business school where I write on the board, I make everybody close their eyes. They're like, oh my God, why are we closing our eyes? You know, and I say, close your eyes. And I write salesperson in quotes on the board, on mm-hmm. the whiteboard. And I say, open your eyes, give me some characteristics of these people. And you can imagine the words, you know, and some of them are good words, but they're, you know, there's, you know, charismatic, um, confident, uh, well-dressed, mm-hmm sleazy, slimy, unethical, um, you know, bad smile. You know, there's all kinds of funny words that come out. And I say, great, guys, great. This is a great list of words. Now close your eyes one more time. And I write entrepreneur in quotes. And I say, open your eyes, give me the words. And I can tell you, because I've done it about a thousand times all over the world, um, innovator, visionary, passionate, enthusiastic, world changer, job creator, risk taker, Nothing right. bad right. ever, ever right. shows up. The worst word I've gotten when I've said entrepreneur is poor, <laughs> right? which I think is funny, right? But it's, and then I, I put them side by side on the whiteboard and I say, what in the hell is going on here? And, and, and there's a cultural stereotype that we have against salespeople. Right. And my point to doing that exercise with my entrepreneurs is, Guys, you got to be both of these things, not the yucky stuff on this side, not sleazy. No one, we're, this is not a class about that. This is not about manipulation. It's about creating trust 
and win-win. Because I tell my I tell my entrepreneurs, the minute you sense that Michael is not a fit for your service, you thank him and you walk away. This is not about manipulating someone to make a stupid decision. Totally. Why would you ever do that, right? right? And so, but but it really is meaningful when it comes to getting the proper mindset to be successful selling. Yeah, I mean, people are pretty tuned into that too. You know when someone's kind of pushing you into something that doesn't feel right, um, and and no one likes that. No, no one likes it, and you can you can sense it. I mean, any buyer with any level of sophistication can sense that coming a mile away. And, right. and it, what's what's great about it, guys, is that you know it's 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 almost nearly impossible for entrepreneurs to do that because. Look, they know a couple of things. I mean, they have a strong, true belief in why they started this business, and they're looking for that customer that will um, that will come along on this journey with them. And almost by definition, there's a trust level there because in order to do business with an entrepreneur, you got to believe, right? Because they're not Google; they're just getting started. And so you're more believing Joel than you're believing the business, and that's a beautiful thing, right? That's a trust. Almost initially, it's a trust-based relationship. And then, you know, in the business school, I teach a whole section in my sales class on post-sale activity. I say, I say, when you close the deal, selling doesn't end. It just enters a different phase with different tools. And we call that section of my course, Let's Fall in Love. Because we talk about how do you cause people to fall in love with you? Because you can. You can do that. But you really have to be disciplined and diligent and skilled about how do I now, I've been lucky enough to win Joel or win Michael over. Now, how do I treat them and measure our and manage our relationship such that they absolutely fall in love with this company and me and everybody around such that word of mouth starts happening and then all, lots of good things start happening for your company? I love that. Um, and you know, that makes a lot of sense too in terms of just caring about what you're doing, which is something that you know, every entrepreneur is working on something they're passionate about. Um, it's a lot different than showing up to a job where... Uh, it's just a paycheck to you. So that's right. I mean, I, I, you know, again, I, I always say I was lucky to be at IBM because I was a true believer at IBM. You know, I think we were at a period of time and I think we, you know, we had some dark times too, but at the time I was there, I believed in what we were doing and we were doing great things for, with great people for customers. And so I was lucky to be, to land as a very young person in a spot where I did believe instead of just, you know, pushing widgets and, you know, selling them kind of whether you needed them or not. I would have been horribly, a, a horrible failure in that kind of a job. So going back to what we were talking about earlier, you said don't bother hiring a salesperson until you have your whole toolkit basically built out and you know the answers to those questions that you laid out. When you get to that point and you feel like you're ready, what tips do you have for bringing someone in? I just had this conversation with a client this morning. So, you know, and, and let me let me give one caveat to the first part of your question first, because I'm super, as you all know, I'm super heavy-handed about the toolkit. I mean, you need, I don't know, 80% of that toolkit built. You're never gonna be able to answer all those questions that I obnoxiously listed before. But you know, you gotta have, you gotta, it's gotta be robust enough, right? So that's that's part one. Part two of your question is once you think you're ready. And God, I, this is tough love, I know. And it's sort of, uh, my entrepreneurs get mad at me when I say this, but it's the truth. You have to spend as much time and as much, with as much care and as much thought and as much design hiring your early sales team as you do building your product. 
And people are like, come on, Craig. And, it, and it's just true because those first critical hires, as we know, are really, really important and you can lose a tremendous amount of money and you don't have a tremendous amount of money usually unless you have just gobs of investor capital. And you, but you still should do this if, even if you have gobs of investor capital. And I have, I have clients in both, both areas. You, you need to put a process together that is really well thought out, that measures the skill and discipline, not just the knowledge, of this potential salesperson. And you put him or her through a series of interviews with different constituencies, with different interview protocols, or otherwise fancy word for lists of questions, right? And then you also usually, if you can, give them a task to complete that is sales-related. I, I like tasks that involve the, the uncomfortable parts of the sales process, which is the early contact, lead generation, talking to people you don't know, those tough ones. And you put them through tests. And then you even may put them through, um, you know, there are consulting firms. We use some of them with our clients where we get to a, a, an interview the end of an interview where we really, really, really like someone, we'll put them through a day-long deep dive by a consulting firm who is, you know, that's their firm's mission is to rate people in how they will fit for your organization. We establish as much as we can up front, and then, you know, the last step of our process, and this, does, this is fairly rare because it's only customers can, that can afford to do that, that super robust process. But that's, that's really the answer to the question. Can you abbreviate? Yes. Are you taking risk? Yes, you are. What have you seen gone wrong when uh, you don't have kind of when you haven't done your your proper due diligence or spent enough time with uh, early sales hires? Two key mistakes: you hire your own likeness. I cannot. I don't have enough fingers and toes to count the number of CEOs we've served over seven years. And and I, I would say this to them with sitting them in a room because I've said it to them: they hire their own likeness. Guys, I've done this, right? Mm -hmm. You think, well, gosh, I'm a successful salesperson. I'll hire Michael. He looks just like me. He's from, he, he's from IBM. He's the same guy, right? And you know, and then Michael fails. You're like, what the what the hell just happened, right? You hire your own likeness. That's not that's that's usually not good. That's that's number one. The second biggest mistake that we see, and this will sound counterintuitive, I promise you, is you hire for two things: knowledge and network. So you hire a Rolodex because okay. you, you, you go, God, I'm going to get, you know, this is you, Michael. Michael says, I'm going to get this woman, Joelle. My God, she's like an industry expert and she's got a gigantic Rolodex. She's got an unbelievable network. She knows everybody. On its face, that's not bad, right? Because, I mean, why, why wouldn't you? Right. Well, here's, here's the deal. When a company's getting started, what you need is hustle. You need grit. You need scrap. You need somebody scrappy as hell. What you don't need, and I'm not, Joel, forgive me, I'm not picking on you. What you don't need is a person who's going to come in and, and play golf every afternoon with their high level, one high level contact. That's not enough. Mm. And, I, and I know I'm, I'm drawing a super dramatic, you know, stark distinction, but guys, this is what happens. We, we rate teams all the time, and we find, we find hopefully some scrappers, and we find some people who are usually, the, and I can say this, I'm older. The older people who've been around the block a few times, who have a lot of knowledge and a lot of contacts, and they got very little activity. They'll close deals because their buddy Michael or their buddy Joel will do a deal with them every year, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. 
but it, you trade hustle. And, and guys, this is so critical because as an entrepreneurial firm, what you need most from your sales team, you need two things. You need revenue, obviously. You also need learning. And the learning comes from cycle, cycles, right? If Joelle is calling 100 people a week, she is going to be the smartest person in my company in about three weeks. Right. If Craig's playing golf every afternoon with you know, the CEO of McDonald's, that's great. But that's not, that's not too many cycles. He's not going to learn that much. He might get a deal or two, and congratulations. But he's not going to learn that much. And I'd rather have 10 Joels than, than, than 30 Craigs. And by the way, you can't, afford, you can't afford those people anyway. But that's what people do. We hire our own likeness, and then we hire for knowledge and contacts, and then we wonder why nobody's getting any business. Man, that's, uh, that's really insightful. We've actually yeah. dealt with a similar situation. Um, recently. And I mean, I think we're making the right move, but I actually saw those different personality types come through the interviews. So um, it really interesting stuff. Well, I salute you for being able to recognize that. I mean, the the key here is to be able to recognize those different types as they come through. And, you know, one of the questions I love to ask, and it seems so obvious, but you really have to ask it and you have to ask it like six different ways to make sure you're not getting sort of BSed. And I don't mean that, you know, your people you're interviewing are BSing you, but they're just, they're going to put on their best face. Uh, the question I like to ask is, I like to say, you know, have you say, Craig, write down and send to me how you spend your average day. And I want it, I would like it hour by hour. Hmm. Man, I'm telling you, you get, what you do is you get a, a microscopic view of how disciplined I am, and how I'm making judgments about how to apply my skill and my knowledge. And what are you looking for in that, in that response? Is there anything in particular that might be a red flag or a green flag? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for fat. What I'm, what I'm looking for is stuff that is not on the front line of selling. And so what I'm looking for is, you know, if you say, you know, I say, Michael, write that down. You know, I know you're coming in for an interview next week. We're really excited to meet you. And we're really excited to see you and, and show you the company. But do one thing for me in advance. Write down at a granular level your day, sort of hour by hour, your, your average day. And maybe write down, Michael, your best day and your worst day. If you can get those two things, too, those are awesome. <laughs> okay. And what I'm looking for is if you're the type of person that gets up in the morning you know, usually people check their email. That's fine. You know, you check your email for 30, 45 minutes, whatever. And then from 7.30 to 9, you pound the phones and you make 30 calls or 50 calls. You're probably my guy. Okay. Right? And what you usually see on these things is, you know, I get up, I check my email for an hour. You know, I go to the gym. Nothing wrong with that. That also is an indicator of discipline, by the way. I go to the gym. I get to work. I check in with my team. I go and talk to the product development folks. Then I go to three meetings with customers. Then I have lunch with another customer. Then I do follow-up in the afternoon. Nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with those answers. Those are the standard answers. But it's, you're not, that's not describing a scrappy butt kicker. It's just not. And so I want the person that says, that's super honest about this, because not everybody can make 100 calls a day. It would like kill your spirit, right? <laughs> but but I, want, I, want, I want you to walk into my office and go, you know, look, here's my best day, Craig. My best day is, you know, I eat nails for breakfast. You know, I get up, I work out, I check my email really quick just to make sure that there's no fires burning. Then I make 50 calls. Then I come into the office, you know, check email again. Then I go to a couple meetings and then I go to lunch. Then I do some follow-up. 
then I might make some calls right before I go home or send some emails or whatever. That's the kind of guy. And, and then if you're humble and honest about it, you say, look, look, I can't do this every day, but this is my day. This is what I want my day. Oh my God, I would hire you like instantly. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That is highly relevant. I love it. So, you know, just some thoughts there, but it's, it's, you know, I'm making it sound like, oh, it's, it's all science. It's not, it's a lot, as you know, it's a lot of art. I mean, there's a lot of, I just said to a very, very successful private equity group in Chicago this morning, I said, you know, because they said, we're going to go out and hire 10 salespeople. And I said, six of them will, will stick. And they looked at me like crestfallen. And I said, guys, this is really hard to do. Like in a year you'll have six. If you can hang your hat on six, you're golden. That's actually pretty like, good. Do you know how much sales. money we spend to get to, on those four? And I said, I know, I know. But if you really hit it with the six, they'll more than pay for the four failures. Yeah, yeah, that's cool, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I hey, really appreciate it. Yeah, where do we keep up with you? Um, where do we keep up with you online? Well, we're at so a couple places. We're at uh, at Sales Engine is our is our Twitter handle. Um, on the if you if you're interested in some some deeper dives on our blog, it's just uh, the Sales Engine website. So it's just salesengine.com slash blog. Uh, you can find us there. And then you know I'm all over the faculty stuff at Chicago Booth. So if you want to ping me there, you can find me there as well. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Craig. Hey, thanks to both of you. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocketship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our newsletter, where twice monthly we send out actionable advice for entrepreneurs and exclusive links to AMAs with our guests. That's rocketship.fm. Sign up today.